Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okay, welcome back to a special edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. The NBA playoffs begin, depending on when you listen to this, they may have already begun because there's such a quick turnaround. So we're going to start, uh, I guess, continue with an annual tradition we have. I've invited two former NBA video coordinators onto the show. You probably follow them on Twitter if you read this newsletter. They are absolutely terrific. They have actually game planned for playoff series. So I could think of nobody better to kind of put yourself in the shoes of what staffers are doing right now as they prepare for these first round playoff series. Mo Dakiel, he's with the Athletic and Bleacher Report now, but he used to be video coordinator for the Clippers, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Australian national team. Mo, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How about yourself? No, I'm hanging in. The The playoffs are here. It's uh, It happened very fast, very fast. I don't know why I didn't think it wasn't going to happen fast, but it did. We also have Steve Jones. He was a video coordinator for the Grizzlies and Nets. And because he made fun of me for this in the open, he also played D1 ball at UNLV and ASU. Steve, <laughs> how are you? I'm great. I'm just going to go with I'm great. Really happy to be here, guys. <laughs> Steve, like, I'm gonna start, you know, I'm going to start looking for Steve Jones' film. <laughs> start, a good idea. start breaking that down in the offseason. Okay, please don't. But there's a couple <laughs> players that are pretty cool, but it's whatever. You know what? Don't yeah. do that. How many rollers did you forget to tag in your defensive team in college? <laughs> Honestly, a lot. But my defense, I guarded bigs. Yeah, me. that's so. – <laughs> Okay, so right. you, so a lot of Chris Sasporzing is trying to step up on Damian Lillard in your film. Okay. Yeah, I was the guy who they were trying to post in this match. Didn't work out so well, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so this is what we're going to do, um, because both of you have been in uh, the shoes of team staffers before, and I don't know if I'm, like, invoking – bad or good memories by saying that of how hard you guys were working around this time uh, usually. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to have each of you is going to, we're going to go through each series. We're going to go in order of when the game ones are. So we'll start with Utah and Denver. Each of you, we're going to have one of you take one team and one of you take the other. I'm going to ask each of you sort of what's the vulnerability that you think your team can most exploit in the opponent. And we'll kind of go from there. Um, do you guys what? Which one? Who wants Utah? Who wants Denver? Steve, I'll let you pick. Oh, I got the first draft pick. Yeah, you get the first one. I will go with. Uh, let's go Utah. Let's All right, Utah. let's go Utah. So, Steve, you're you're now a member of the Utah Jazz staff. You've been asked to analyze this opponent, the Denver Nuggets. What is the biggest vulnerability that you spot in the Denver Nuggets that you think the Jazz can exploit? Uh, their defense right now. 
with their team as currently formed, their defense has not been great. They're giving up threes. They're giving up dribble penetration. Uh, it's been a struggle for them in the bubble so far. Now, granted, they've had roster issues. It's been up and down as far as who's playing. But if I'm Utah, I'm focusing on, okay, what can we do to exploit that? What can we do to score? They had that great overtime game. I'm going to go ahead and attack, move the ball, get my tempo up. Um, obviously, Colin being gone hurts, but we're going to move the ball. We're going to attack. We're going to make you rotate. We're going to close out. And we're going to hit shots. That's my focus if I'm Utah. Uh, defensively, I got Rudy Gobert to help in the paint. Jokic is a bear to deal with. But I'm just trying to attack and score all the time and make you guys make mistakes, which you guys have done so far. Because as great as Michael Porter Jr. has been on the offensive end, defensively, uh, it's been up and down. So I'm going to test your depth. I'm going to test what you got. And uh, I'm going to try and score some buckets. Yeah, I mean, before Mike Conley, who is not going to play in at least the first two games, possibly the first three because of the birth of his son, congratulations to the Conley family. I kind of felt like Utah, this is a good matchup for them. Like Denver, they – they move the ball really well, Utah. They swing it. They shoot. They do all the things you describe pretty well, and Denver doesn't do them that well. Uh, Mo, what do you, if you're Denver, Mo, what do you, you're looking at the loss of Conley. Like, how much does that give you a sigh of relief? It does help a ton, just in the sense of, look, the two guys they brought in this summer, Bagdanovich and Conley, were the guys that were supposed to boost their offense. And, you know, those two guys are gone, and I think now Utah has the same problems they've had in the past few playoffs, you know, do they have enough offense, you know, can they score enough? And, you know, my plan to obviously with the Nuggets and I got Jokic, I'm going to try to pull Gobert out of the pain. I'm going to run a lot more elbow actions. I'm going to run a lot more DHOs. I think one of the area we have them beat is athleticism. You know, we, we got more athletes. We can run up and down. We can get going a lot quicker, I think. And that's how I'm going to, really craft my offense to attack their defense because I'm going to pull Rudy out you know I'm not going to just let Rudy be able to sit in the paint and with Jokic and his ability to pass and everything like that you know you got to press up on him if you don't he's just going to turn and hit the jumper so you know I, I, I'm feeling pretty confident right now and knowing that they don't have Connolly, you know on top of it for at least the first two or three games like I just feel like they can't score with us so, you know, I, I know we have a problem defensively and we, we have our issues to work on, but I just don't think they can keep up with us scoring-wise. And I'm just going to make sure – I'm going to make this a shootout. We're just going to score more than them because we're probably not going to stop them enough. So high-scoring series. So what is it specifically about Denver, Steve, that you feel like I, you can exploit defensively? I know their their numbers have been poor, but is it – is it more Jokic's lack of mobility? Is it something else? Like, what's the thing where if you're Utah, you're saying, I want to try to target that person to get what I want done? Um, Jokic and pick and roll is always a question mark. He's improved, don't get me wrong, but I have, you know, if you're Utah, you have Donovan Mitchell you can put to force him to come up on the floor, put two on the ball, go bear rolling. You can open some things up from there. Um, the main thing has been their closeouts from their wings. Obviously, Torrey Craig is solid, but – Otherwise, they get themselves in positions where they're overhelping, and now the ball is moving, they can't rotate, and they're giving up open shots. And that's something they need to fix as soon as possible. I think Coach Malone's pretty aware of it. But if they can't fix that issue of guarding outside of the plays, you know, that dribble penetration, those cuts, it's going to be tough for them to sustain, especially in a playoff series against a team that knows what you're trying to do and can really attack you that way. 
And I, I just want to jump in, and I'm going to pretend to not be working for the the, the Denver Nuggets here. Steve had a great That's clip. Not the rules. That's not the rules. I, 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 you know I break rules, Steve. <laughs> I don't work for a team anymore. I get to break rules. <laughs> um, Steve had a great clip of, you know, Joe Ingles attacking a Michael Porter Jr. closeout, you know, off of a pick and roll. And I think a big part of that is, you know, they're not over at health side early enough, you know, like he's not at the nail. So now he's running to help on the, the pick and roll. And when Connolly kicks it out to Joe Ingles, now he's running out to Joe Ingles, which makes it a, a crazier closeout. So for me, if I am Mike Malone, I'm going to go back to working for the Nuggets now. I'm going to, you know, in the film session, stress, you know, we got to be at these spots earlier than than we are because – and. Going to steal something from Steve again, which I told him I was going to at one point. Because uh-huh. if you're if you're running to help, it's over. Because at that point, you're either going to be too late to get to the help spot, or you're never going to be able to recover. So I always kind of like the idea of getting these guys in early so they can get out to their man. And I think that would help combat these, you know, wild and reckless closeouts that we are seeing. And that's something I would probably put in my film session if I'm Coach Malone. So as as Denver, sometimes I I often watch them and I think their defense sometimes it is meant to be aggressive. It is meant for Jokic to come after the ball. It is meant for these rotations. Sometimes I think they need to dial some of that stuff back. They have to rotate less. But it seems like what you're saying, Mo, as Denver is you're you're not necessarily rot- want them to rotate less on defense, especially on the backside, but rotate sooner, and that's the real issue. Do you think that that's a better way to solve the problem than maybe like sort of making your scheme a little more conservative, dropping Jokic back a little bit further, uh, so Mitchell and some of the other guards have to come to him first? Well, like the the problem for me with necessarily having Jokic in like a deep drop is he's not really the shot blocker I'd want, right? So it's like okay, now Mitchell has a runway to attack, you know, and that's and that would be a little bit more a bit scarier. What what I am saying, though, and and you're right, I'm not asking for more rotations. I'm just asking them to do it better. You know, I'm asking, you know, when the ball's on one side, I'm asking for the weak side to rotate over and be at help positions because I think that discourages other drives, you know. So, you know, on that same clip, you know, if Michael Porter Jr. is over and at the nail at the free throw line earlier, you know, when he's Conley's coming off the screen, he's going to see him and not be able to penetrate as much. And then he's going to kick it out to Ingles, and that's a controlled closeout that Michael Porter can make. But, you know, if if he's just running around like a chicken with his head cut off, we're screwed. Yeah, and Utah can do that with all their movement. Uh, on the other end, um, Steve Mo mentioned, like, let's, let's bring, Yoke, or bring Gobert out of the paint using Jokic. This is, of course, a common tactic in the playoffs. Uh, probably are very happy you're not seeing the Houston Rockets doing all this to him. Is is this a concern of yours, like what to do, Gobert traveling too far out on that end, or is it perhaps overblown? Are you worried about other things on defense? I think Jokic poses an issue for Gobert in the sense that he can pop, which will bring him out of the paint, but he can also post up and attack him, catch on the roll and attack him. You know, I think the last time they played, he faked him out six times and got his last foul to foul him out. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's definitely an issue where it's not the traditional, obviously, the Rockets, where he's just having the space. It's an issue. 
you as far as, okay, he can attack him in the post. He can attack him in pick and roll. He can pop. That's going to cause some issues as far as that goes. Um, really, the big issue is just containing Jamal Murray as well. Mm. You know, that's going to be a big part of it. And I thought he had a really good game against them last time. Go Bears in a drop. Jamal Murray's coming off. You have to worry about Jokic popping. You have to worry about Murray coming off, shooting, driving. If someone has the help, it's an easy kick. So that pick and roll combo, and they can always invert it, you know, and have Murray screen for Jokic, that can cause them some issues. So if I'm Utah, if I can figure those two out, I'm probably in good shape. Um, if I struggle with it, it's probably going to be a long series. Yeah, so Murray scored 23 in 39 minutes. It was his first game back, I believe, after sitting yes. out for a really right. long time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's a tricky thing. I mean, as Utah, the other thing that I think Denver brings to the table, obviously, is their depth. And we haven't talked a ton about Porter, Utah's lack of size on the perimeter. If I'm Utah, I would be worried about that. But Utah's now got serious depth problems of their own. So as Utah, how do you over how do you compensate for that while also knowing that there are other players in Denver's rotation that you don't really have a lot of recent film on? There's not hasn't been a lot of Will Barton recently. No Gary Harris. You know, PJ Dozier is suddenly a key part of the rotation. As Utah, how do you manage that with now the lack of depth that you have, especially without Conley. It's going to be a struggle, especially because Utah is such a guard-oriented team. You know, they need Mitchell, Conley, and Clarkson to all play well, and Conley's gone. So they're going to have to handle um, those issues. But I think because of Denver's guards and wings, they might be able to get away with it. Obviously, the Porter Jr. problem could be an issue, but you could always put Joe Ingles on him. Um, I don't think – you know, as good as Monty Morris is, you're probably okay with what he does offensively. Um, it all depends on if Gary Harris and Will Barton play. If those two play and they're at a level where they can compete, it's going to be tougher for them because they have the size, they have the depth. It, Utah doesn't necessarily have those guys to do it. But um, I would say you just have to really focus in and lock in on Jamal Murray and hope that they don't go as deep as they could. You know, because in their current state, they don't have that same guard depth. Right. And just so you guys know, Gary Harris and uh, Will Barton aren't going to play. I just saw that scroll up on Twitter literally as Steve was talking Wait, about seriously? that. seriously? The whole yeah, series? So, no, just game one right now. Just for okay. game one. But I don't know when they're going to come in. You know, like they haven't played at all in in this entire stretch. To just kind of throw them right into the playoffs, too, is going to be a bit of a scary proposition in terms of where they're at physically and whatnot. You know, and and as I would want to run, you know, I I try to push the tempo here a little bit against the Jazz because that makes it harder too to keep to get Rudy back and and things like that. But it's also a concern because you got to figure out the guys' sort of uh, stamina and how well can they stay up. You know, we're still going to get, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is going to run the fly route at least three different times, and hopefully they'll him and Jokic will connect once or twice for an easy bucket. But, you know, I think those are the things, too, that we got to kind of watch for as the Nuggets is kind of not burning our guys out just to try to get at the the Jazz at the same time. I think it's a fascinating series. It would have been more interesting if Conley was playing the whole time. I think if Conley was playing the whole time, I would lean Utah in this series. I think it's a bad matchup for Denver with the way they move the ball. Without Conley, I think it's going to be tough for – 
Utah to handle their depth. I don't know if uh, – is there anything else for either of you that you think is going to be a big key to the series that not enough people are talking about? Well, I think Steve didn't bring him up, but Joe Ingles is going to matter a ton now with the Connolly, you know, being out for a couple of games. You know, he's really going to have to take it up another notch in terms of playmaking and things like that because it can't just all fall on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders, you know, and I think – you know, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench is just going to go for scoring. Like, a lot more playmaking is going to fall on Ingles' uh, shoulders, and that's going to be a big thing for for the Jazz to have happen and something that the, the Nuggets have to make sure they don't really let him cook, you know, and, and get going because he runs the slowest but most effective pick and roll there probably is with Gobert. You know, it's it's not quick by any means, but it's enough to lull you to sleep and then him finding Rudy for a lob or him with his, you know, ugly lefty floater. I mean, some would say Joe Ingles is probably their best playmaker at times. I don't know if I agree, but some would say that that pick and roll is pretty tough. So I think that opens some things up. They put the ball in his hands more. Um, I think it'll be a fun series. I mean, this is two teams with a bunch of question marks going into the bubble and hashing it out. And one of them is going to figure it out. The other one's going to be left feeling, you know, a little sick about it unless, you know, Bull Bull scorches the earth. Well, I, that was my secret weapon. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to reveal it on the podcast. But, yeah, you know, Bull Bull's dropping 47 each game. <laughs> Bull, Bull, Bull Bull's going to hit a three in game one, and everyone's going to lose their mind. I'm, I'm predicting it right now. What quarter? Uh, end of the first End of the first. So, like, okay, I'm going to watch for that. Uh, we're going to hold you to it. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to the next series. Brooklyn-Toronto is the next one. Steve, since you work for the Nets, do you want to represent the Nets, or would you rather not? Well, he got the last pick. All right, fine. What, what do you want? <laughs> I don't care where he worked. Oh, wow. All right, fine. Wow. Okay, Mo, make your selection, sir. My apologies. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> oh, you did all that for that? Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> I had to make sure you weren't going to take it. <laughs> all right, so so here's the thing, though. As a Brooklyn Nets, I think that you have a better shot than people are giving you credit for in this series. I don't think you're going to win, but I kind of think this is not the matchup Toronto wants. Am I as as a Brooklyn Nets employee? Do you do you agree with me? Yeah, it's not fun. No one really wants to play Brooklyn right now. Um, you can talk about the talent disparity and all that good stuff. Who's not there? Make a joke and everything. But look at how Portland handled them in that last game. Brooklyn was fearless. They had zero fear. They were playing offensively like whatever. We're going to go ahead and attack, and then defensively we're going to figure it out. And that's not the team you want to face in the playoffs. This is a team that's fearless. Do they have a ceiling? Absolutely. Do they care? I don't think so. Um, Karis LeVert has grown, so we're getting him the ball in different areas. He's posting up and pick and roll. He's making plays. I got Jared Allen rolling. I got Joe Harris I can run action for. I got Tyler Johnson that is who's playing like he really wants to stay around. Um, and I got TLC playing well. So I have that offensive attack. Fearlessness and defensively, if we struggle, we're just going to go zone and we're going to muck it up for you. And Toronto, that's not your strength offense. You know, as good as good as shooting as you are, 
I'm going to put you, I'm going to put that zone on you. If we struggle, make you bog down, try and throw some bodies at Siakam. Uh, hope I put some size and length on Lowry and see how it goes. But we're going to score and you got to deal with it. I saw a stat, I, I forget, was it maybe Matt Brooks, I think for Nets Daily, was saying it. Toronto, according to Synergy, the worst offense in the half court against the zone this season. Number 30. Now, Mo, as a member of the Toronto Raptors, do you think this is – Are you, first of all, how worried are you about this opponent? And second of all, if you are worried, what is it about them that you would most want to stress to your players so that they don't take them lightly? I mean, you want you want to have the appropriate amount of fear. Now, in terms of how worried, it's it's pretty low, to be honest. But you want to make sure the guys are ready. And I think this is something that this Toronto team does is they don't take guys lightly, you know. And I know, you know, Steve wants to go zone and things, and it, and it, it is a bad office. It, the, our biggest issues with the Raptors are, you know, our half court offense is not nearly as good. We're a heavy transition offense team we push the ball we want to get out scoring you know Pascal Siakam's much better on the run and and when things are going and things like that and that really starts with our defense so you know our offense is going to be created because we're going to play solid defense and you know Carlos Levert is the one guy we really got to worry about like you know I know Joe, Joe Harris can get hot you know TLC's cooking right now and that's uh, and I say that because I can't say his full name. Um, but like, Timothy you know, Luwalu Cabarro. That's all right. Uh, that's impressive. That, that was pretty pretty good. I'm not going to even try it, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, but I just think like they just don't have the top level talent that we do, you know. And on top of it, you know, we have a smaller backcourt, so there might be some issues there. But overall, behind it, we have length. You know, I mean. Pascal Siakam's length, Mark Marcus Hull's defensive, just basketball IQ in general and overall, he's just a a movable force to to steal a line from somebody who I can't remember today. Um, you know, you just you can't do it. And then now we're bringing Serge Ibaka off the bench. Like we're, I'm not too worried about the team. For us, though, the key is going to be getting defensive stops, forcing turnovers, and getting out running. So one of the things I've had a lot of trouble and I've thought about this matchup is I can't decide if the way the Nets play offense with the, with so much kicking, so much quick decision-making, and so much three-point shooting is the best possible offense to go against Toronto's super frantic, aggressive defense or the worst possible offense to go against that. I can't decide which is which. I have, I, an, opinion. I have an opinion. Yeah, what do you think? I think that what where Brooklyn can make it tough for Toronto is they don't necessarily outside of Levert have a target you can lock in on. Right. And so Toronto's really, really good at taking away your top guy, even if they don't have to. I mean, they were doubling, I think, Jimmy Butler in the post when they played, and they didn't have to do that, but it was a way to say, hey, we're not going to let you do anything, do something else. Um, Brooklyn's ability to move the ball, kick it, drive, because they have to do that. They don't have the talent necessarily to just go with certain things that other teams can. Um, you know, Karras has done a great job, but I don't think they're going to do that all the time. So I think that ability to move the ball uh, and put that pressure on you defensively where you got to guard all of us somehow because we're going to keep trying until we can get something open is what could make it tough for Toronto. And I love Toronto, just so you know. So – so I think it could be a more interesting series than people are giving it credit at the start. 
So no fuck Brooklyn here as a, <laughs> as a Brooklyn Nets employee. Okay, so, I mean, Mo, what do you think? <laughs> as Toronto, do you think – I mean, what do you think about that re, that description of your defense? Uh, it's much better when it can target onto someone. I think it is, and I think that's why we're going to be able to lock in on Levert. I mean, he's averaging 6.7 assists in the bubble. You know, he's been their primary offensive guy, averaging 25 points. You know, after that, you have Joe Harris who's shooting the piss out of the ball at 40, 54%, but I don't buy it. That's something that's going to be uh, out there. But if I if I make it difficult for Levert to get those passes out even, forget about just scoring, but just making it hard for him to be able to create for others, you know, I feel like we've done our job. Now, it's true, like our frenetic defense is, is something that would be – that either can cause the perfect amount of chaos that's going to get Brooklyn to cum- crumble – or they're just going to be able to find their spots and continue to attack rotations and things like that. But that's where I'm, I'm banking on the the championship swagger and the confidence the team has in terms of defensively. I mean, just think about it this way: every time somebody goes down, this team has somebody else step up. You know, defensively, offensively, they all just roll around. I mean, it's it's very been very interchangeable across the board. So I'm not too worried. Elver, I I know Steve thinks I don't think it's going to be as close. I think maybe it's a five game series. Five. Yeah, a, I don't, a gentleman sweep. Yeah, and 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 I say this hurt a little bit because Jack Vaughn is my guy. Oh, right? like I'm I love. I'm snitching to Jack Vaughn. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. He knows, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he knows who I am. So, but that's my guy. So you know, um, but I just, I just don't think the talent level is going to be there at this point. It's just going to be overwhelming. You know, and on top of it, Nick Nurse is just going to throw out so many different things, so many different types of defenses to confuse, you know, Levert to put difficult, put Harris in difficult situations across the board and things like that. And and the other guys, they're rolling well, but I don't know if this is something that's going to be carried over into the playoffs. Well, no, that's the whole in any argument I have. Toronto has that top tier defensive flexibility, and the fact that. If A is not working, we can go to B pretty quick. And so they can throw a lot of different looks out. They can do a lot of different things. And I don't know how Brooklyn responds to that kind of pressure, I'd say. You know, it, it's it's one thing if you can attack a defense that's doing one thing and one thing only. But if the defense is, you know, adapting as you play, I don't know if they have the mix to get that done. Uh, I would say – possibly six max um, just because of how Brooklyn has been playing loose. But um, Toronto, it's all about if they can score, honestly, because defensively I think they're great and they don't get enough credit for what they do. So I think it'll be a fun series because of what Brooklyn brings to the table. And if Toronto can figure it out, it's it's going to be how soon they figure it out more than if they can, honestly. Yeah, this seems ripe for another one of those, oh, my God, how did Toronto lose game one series that ends up going five or six uh, in the end? I feel like it's a series that's going to have a lot of swings, maybe within, maybe not necessarily in the games, but within the games. There's going to be a lot of runs followed by counter runs, and there are going to be moments where the Nets look like they're world beaters, and there are going to be moments where they can't do anything. Uh, but I don't know. I just think I think this series is getting slept on as an entertaining series. So. I think also in the CBA is required that Toronto loses game ones of the first round of the playoffs. Mm. So I think, you know, we can already say the Nets are up 1-0. 
<laughs> it's supposed to, it's supposed to be like, a, oh my God, Chris Chioza hit five threes. It is the one thing too is though, and Steve hit on it a bunch of times. They're playing their asses off across the board, you know, in every game they've been in. So that's one thing. It's if you're Toronto, you can't take lightly. Even if you build a lead, you can't look at it going like, okay, we put them away. They're done for the night. It's like, no, they're just going to keep coming. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the third game. Uh, Boston, Philadelphia. Uh, and I believe Steve, you have the first pick. So do you want to be Boston or do you want to be Philly? I'd like to defer my pick to Mo. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see. I think I'm going to go – I'm going to go Philly. Okay. All right, so Philly – and Joel Embiid, as of now, is playing in this series, correct? I think I just want yes. to double-check yeah. that. So, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything that said he wasn't. Okay, so as as Philly, you don't have Ben Simmons, uh, but you do have Joel Embiid. What's a vulnerability in Boston that you're looking at and saying, yeah, we, we, we need to go right to it? I think I know what you're going to say, but uh, I think i got to ask the question anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's the most obvious one, right? Like, it's size. You know, we're just going to attack them in the post. We're going to own the paint. We're going to make sure we we declare that territory ours on both ends of the court, offensively and defensively. I think, you know, ultimately, listen, Tice has been good. You know, with Robert Williams had a nice resurgence. You know, everybody got all excited about the Time Lord and everything like that. But at the end of the day, we're only going as far as Joel Embiid can take us. So we're going to pound the ball in the post. He's been pretty good in the bubble passing out of double teams, which I imagine he's going to see a ton of against Boston. I think this is going to be one of those things where we're just going to – our guy is going to take us all the way. You know, I'm looking at Joel going like, you tell everybody you're this great. You tell everybody you're an unbelievable player. You have to play that way this series for every game. You have to carry us to win this series, like plain and simple. And, you know, fair or unfair, but with the Ben Simmons injury, it's all on his shoulders. Steve, as Boston, are you – Do you think, there's a school of thought that not having Simmons but having Embiid doesn't necessarily make the Sixers that much worse, at least offensively, because of the awkward fit between the two. As Boston, are you – are you feeling that, or are you feeling like there's now more vulnerabilities that we can exploit because Simmons isn't there? Uh, I'm respectful from Boston to what they have and what they can do. And Bean's obviously a big presence. They can run more elbow action, and it makes sense spacing-wise. You know, you can get Josh Richardson going. You can get Shake Milton going. You can get Harris going, Horford. So you have equal opportunity if possible. Um, but if I'm Boston, I'm doubling Joel Embiid every single time. And I'm gonna make all your other guys beat me over the course of a seven game series. I'm gonna make Al Horford shoot, Josh Richardson shoot. You guys are gonna have to do it. I'm gonna double and then you guys have to guard us on the other end. Cause I'm gonna put Embiid in pick and roll. I'm gonna make him work. If he's gonna be in a drop, I have three, four guys who can come up and pull off every time. Um, I'm gonna move the ball, make you guys guard, make you guys move, and then make you score on the other end and outlast you basically, is the goal. Um, I don't know that Philadelphia has enough offense without Simmons, enough creation, I should say, without Simmons to take them over the top to get this done. So I'm going to make Shake Milton be a playmaker. I'm not going to let him be a scorer. Make Josh Richardson try and score the ball over contested looks. I'm going to take Al Horford away and hope that he gets passive, and then we're good. Yeah, I think you're sleeping on Tobias Harris a little bit much, though. 
You know, I think that's where you double – Embiid finds Harris in the rotations and things like that. And, and, and it, excuse me, Embiid finds Harris off the double teams and gets your guys' in rotation. I think that's where he can attack best. I don't like him just coming in and creating on his own, but him kind of being the secondary attack, that's where I start to like – you know, Tobias Harris. I think that's where you're going to find pockets where Josh Richardson, who began to show signs of life after Simmons was injured, you know, dropping 34 the other night. I think, you know, there, there are going to be pockets there and things like that. And ultimately for us, the, the concern on the defensive end, I think that's going to be part of it is we're also just going to make a point of we're going to focus on defense and make it hard for you guys. I think there are reports already out there that uh, Matisse Tybel might end up starting. And that might, and nobody's really sure over who, but that's something that we have to account for. Is you know we got to be figure out how we're going to guard Tatum, how we're going to guard Brown, and and all of those. You know, I mean, Kemba Walker is going to difficult. I mean, they got four guys that can score twenty points a night easily, and you know that's not even including Marcus Smart, who somehow got offended when I said that, but doesn't know my name. Um, <laughs> but he was the, Marcus Smart. Well, just by saying, I, well, I didn't, but like me saying he did, he wouldn't, I didn't include him in the list of twenty. You know that he could average twenty points a night. He he got offended. He, he a, just twinged somewhere. He got as a, a as a Philadelphian player. Are you sure it's a good idea to make Marcus Smart angry? Eh. <laughs> it's wow. Philly. It's Philly. Wow. Uh, no, um, but I, I think that's. But I just think we can take advantage of it. And the other thing, ultimately, you know, you got to not foul Embiid. Even in the, the even when you guys come in your double team, he has an amazing knack for drawing fouls, and that's going to put you in a tough position because now you're in foul trouble, and now we're in the bonus early. So, Mo, you mentioned Thibel. That was a question that uh, Dan Olinger asked us. What What do you think about the possibility of Thibel starting? Um, and you sort of mentioned some things that you're going to try to do defensively to account for all of. Philadelphia or Boston's threats without Simmons, but specifically, who do you think, who would you have guarding who in that starting lineup? Who's guarding Tatum? Who's guarding Walker? Who's guarding Jalen Brown? Who's playing out of his mind? Who's guarding Gordon Hayward? Who is still there? I, I think he, his, his kid is going to come in the second round if they advance. Like, what exactly specifically is your plan to deal with all those threats? So I think I'm putting Josh Richardson on, on Kemba Walker. Uh, it's it, it gets difficult because I'm not sure if you're gonna if I'm gonna start Horford or not if I'm just gonna go small to match up or if I'm gonna stay big that's that's really the ultimate question you know I think if I have Tybal in he's he's guarding Tatum I'm gonna have Tobias Harris on uh, on uh, Brown and and you know hey, Horford on Hayward's not a good idea actually yeah I'm probably not starting Horford I'm probably going <laughs> with another guard wow. Uh, you just it's, subbed Al Horford out in seven seconds. Yeah, see, that's how, sometimes that's how quick you got to go sometimes, Steve. <laughs> you know how it is. You come in a situation, and it's like, okay, <laughs> got to adjust quickly. Um, it's just tough because I don't know where you, how you how you play Horford and Embiid at the same time when they're small. You know, like Horford against Gordon Hayward, that's a difficult matchup. You know, and that's something that I think – Sixers might have to look at going small, and that means somebody like Shake Milton starting, and that's going to be a, a challenge. So that that changes things. It probably put Milton on Walker and uh, move uh, Richardson onto Hayward. I got a theory. I got a theory. I think you put Tybal in and you put Shake Milton to the bench, and you go with Richardson, Tybal, Harris, Horford, and Beat. 
you go as big as you can, you go as physical as you can, as lengthy as you can, and you see what you can do. Because as tough as Gordon Hayward is, sometimes he's not as aggressive as he can be, right? So I'm going to make him make some plays. Because if he's making some plays, you know who's not making plays? <laughs> Everybody Kimba, else. <laughs> Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. So I'm going to take my gamble on, okay, let's be big. Let's be switchable. Let's keep them in front and see what happens. And I think that may be how Philly goes. Now, I'm not certain because they could always keep shaking there because they put them in the starting lineup. That'd be tough to just pull them out. But I think with how they're playing offensively, going through Embiid, running some elbow stuff, getting Richardson going, I think you put Tybo in there to get your defense going, and then you let your offense come in the second unit. That's just my thought. It, my, my, my only pushback is that Hayward's actually been pretty good in the bubble. You oh, know? no, he's been great. He's been great. He's been aggressive, too. It's been great. Yeah, so, like, that, that's the one thing where it's like if if this was pre-bubble, I, I'm with you on it. I just think that that's an area where it's like – and then Hayward's eyes light up going like, oh, this is lunch. Okay, cool. And and, and, and I think he starts to try to cook at that point. That's, that's my fear. And I think the important thing for – the problem with Philly – is they got to get off to a good start because this is, they, they're not a great come-from-behind team. They don't shoot it well enough from three to be able to dig out of big deficits and things like that. I think it's it's one of those things they got to try to build a lead early, and I think you know it, it's a risk there. So I understand the, the physical thing. It, it, I'm struggling with it, even though I made the decision within seven seconds. It was a tough <laughs> and, and long seven seconds, but it's, it's hard. It's, it's a, just a difficult scenario. I don't know. What you do now when Marcus Smart's in there, you can definitely put Horford in there and just have him on Smart. I'll live with Smart shooting threes and 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 and, and risk it. But from there, I, I I think it's just scary in the start of the game. Yeah, I mean the other problem, of course, with starting Horford and Tybal is then on the other end, which is it makes it easier to double and bead. So I, that sort of to me illustrates sort of the challenges that Philly has without Simmons. It's sort of more the the ripple effects and what comes after it than missing Simmons's production specifically. I'm of the opinion personally that Boston's like a legit juggernaut, legit title contender. I don't love this matchup for them, but I think that they're the team to watch in this entire tournament. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, okay. So Dallas and the Clippers. Uh, Mo, do you want your home team? Well, Steve deferred. I'm going to let Steve pick, and because I was a, a little bit of a prick during the Toronto okay. uh, Brooklyn thing, I'm going to let Steve Steve choose here. Steve is deferring again. Oh, my Jesus God. Jesus <laughs> Christ. And what happens if I defer again? Are we just going to be right. doing this? Right. No, the you're, the Clippers. No, you're the Clippers. Steve, you're the Mavericks. The end. I'm making decisions from now on. No more choices for you. The commissioner has sounded. All right. Jeez, uh, Roger Goodell in this house. All right. So as the Clippers vote, is this the matchup you wanted? Are you, like, excited? Is this the, the team that you think you're, you're best matched up against, or is this a team in Dallas that you're actually kind of scared of? No, this is – I'm actually not too afraid of them if I'm the Clippers, only because we have enough wing defense and, and length and size to really combat Luka. And for me, it's – the way we've played them all season, you know, they've had the highest-rating offense – you know, historically, you know, it, it, uh, to advanced metrics. 
But against us, it drops to, I think, like 104 or 102. Like, that's a massive drop. And that's something that we're able to hound Luca all night. You know, I'm going to have, if if Beverly's available, I'm going to have him picking up full court on Luca and hounding him and start tiring him out. Every time he comes off a screen, he's going to see a trap. If it's not a trap, it's going to be a hard hedge. We're going to mix things up with him here a little bit and, and, and play around with him. I just think everything for the Mavs begins and ends with Luca. And for us, we just got it. We got enough guys to really just make his life a living hell. At the end of the day, when he's not seeing Patrick Beverly or, or one of our guards, he's going to end up seeing a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George. And that's a, a hell of an asset that we have is that we're able to go to all of that. And, you know, that's just that the way I look at it. I think that's something we can just take them out of their offense. If you're Dallas, you have this great offense that the Clippers have shut down, like Mo said. What do you what do you think you can do to sort of get Luca better looks to kind of get him in the flow a little bit more and get your offense to perform at a level closer to what it does against the other twenty eight, twenty nine, twenty eight teams in the NBA? Put their bigs in pick and roll. That's what I'm gonna do. If you want to play Zubac, that's fine. If he wants to be in a drop, that's cool. I'll take the shot. If not, if he has to come up and level against Luka, I'm going to skip and rotate, and that's what we do best is Dallas. Once we get you in rotation, that ball's skipping. You can't catch it. We're going to get an open shot. We're going to keep driving until we get one. So for me, I'm going to put their bigs in pick and roll, make them go small, and that will open more things up for me. Um, obviously, Kawhi, Paul George, cause a challenge for Luka, but I'm going to find the mismatch. Make someone else guard them. I'm going to put Marcus Morris in pick and roll. Uh, whatever guard they play, Reggie Jackson, if Beverly's available, I'm going to put him in pick and roll. I'm going to find a way to to get that rotation, get that mistake, and keep moving the ball. The Clippers are very good. They have a lot of good personnel defensively. Um, there's no doubt about that. But if I can move the ball and make you make mistakes, ball movement, player movement, all of a sudden that opens things up for for us, you know, the biggest problem with Dallas so far has been they play a certain way for three quarters in the fourth quarter, everything stops. So the biggest thing is continue to execute, continue to move the ball, take the shots that are open. Um, we can stay big. You know, I can play Porzingis and Maxi Kleber and feel good about what I got. You know, I might even throw Maxi Kleber on Kawhi just to see what's happening. Okay, so it's going to be interesting to see can Dallas sustain that style and force the Clippers to rotate defensively. Because if they can do that, we've got something. And I believe that all three of the Dallas matchups happened before Dwight Powell got hurt. Or didn't Dwight Powell get hurt in one of the three? Uh, yeah, so, he got hurt against the Clippers. I remember that. Yeah, so I'm not sure how much the Clippers have seen the Porzingis at center look. I know, is that something, as the Clippers, Mo, that you've, think needs to you need to adjust the way you play to account for, or is it not something you're super worried about? I mean, I think Zubac is a bit underrated, and um, I like to tease uh, Jovan Buha of The Athletic, you know, and call him Cousin Zoo because Jovan's a big fan of his, and I just assume they're cousins. Uh, so the way I look at it, though, is, you know, he's actually a pretty good rim protector. He's done a good job. I don't think he's – they can do better. They can find a, a, a starting center – for a championship team, like they could have upgraded that position, I think, at some point. But overall, I think in the long term, he's going to be a, a really good player. And I, I'm just not too worried about it. I mean, worse comes to worse. Honestly, I'm not above putting Paul George on Porzingis, you know, and, and just kind of getting tricky and, and fooling around here a little bit and, and making things 
uh, difficult because even if they – listen, Porzingis doesn't really want to post up, and when he does and he has a smaller matchup, it doesn't always pan out to be that great, you know, and Paul George has got the toughness and things like that. That's if also Zubac fails. That's if Jermichael Green doesn't work out. That's if Monty, uh, not, uh, Marcus Morris doesn't work out. I think, you know, there's a lot of options for the Clippers to be able to go to in terms of how they attack Porzingis, who's also had a freaking hell of a bubble play you know he's been phenomenal as well but I think those are the those are our two biggest concerns it's not a team that they got to worry about there's several other things you know if Maxi Cleaver is going to space you know Dorian Finney-Smith is going to space Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to space it's it's not like there's a lot of actions we have to really account for on the backside of things so I think ultimately we're just going to be in pretty good shape with how we defend and we get to be ultra aggressive and physical with with Luca, I think is going to go a long way. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, why not? That's a good idea. Why not put your center on Dorian Finney-Smith? You could put Kawhi on Porzingis. You could put Paul George on Luca. You could switch it back up. You could just switch that action. Uh, I guess the one concern would be that Porzingis can shoot over the top of anyone, and now you sort of open that up more. But I don't know. I agree with you. The, the other challenge that Dallas is going to have, and I'm curious, Steve, if you have an idea for how to deal with this, is – on the other end, how do you stop both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard when your best you have one good wing defender and I'm not sure where your second one is? Yeah, Steve. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I'm going to have to try and switch and hope that Kawhi stays in front and he's not hot. You know, it's not going to be easy. I got Dorian Finney-Smith that I can throw at one of them and then I got Maxi Cleaver, I can throw at the other, and and hope they don't put him in action and put Luca in action, and um, hope that we can stay in front and not have to double. Um, that's going to be tough for them. They don't have two guys that can guard those two guys. So at the end of the day, that's going to be the matchup for Dallas. Can you figure out how to make those guys ineffective? And if you can't, you're going to struggle. Um, going to the flip side, and I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to do it anyways. I would put Marcus Morris on Porzingis. And then you put Zubac on or whoever the center is on, yeah. Finney Smith. Mm-hmm. And then I would let Kawhi roam and then see what happens. Because as good as Porzingis has been, if you put him in a place where you can switch, you can force him in the post, that's not necessarily what Dallas wants to do. So you're going to end up taking something away. And then if you can – the biggest thing is the Clippers can stay in front. They're going to be fine. But I just worry about if Dallas can hang around and put some pressure on the Clippers and now what closing lineup do they go to? You know, do you go small and put Jermichael Green in and let Luka attack a big roll on the switch? Do you put Zubac in and have him come up and then open up the rotations? That's the key for me in this series. What can the Clippers do to either separate themselves or what lineup can they find that's going to – be able to close this thing out for them. Seems like they got a lot of options, but yeah, it is interesting that they haven't really settled on one. Also, probably, I mean, are we going to see much of Montrez Harrell in this series? My guess is no. I like the idea of putting Kleba on Kawhi, though. I think that's a really smart one. I, I might actually start Maxi Kleba and just play a little more of a defensive lineup. Uh, 
maybe don't start uh, Seth Curry. I don't know. That's an interesting idea. But all in all, I, I think this is a tough matchup for Dallas, and so I, I expect this to be a short series. But we shall see. And, and also, it's it's Porzingis and Doncic's first real taste of playoff basketball. Right. When teams get to lock in on them and, and really focus. I mean, the funny thing is these teams have been able to, almost longer than usual, have known their matchups, you know, and have been preparing for – you know, five or six days for, for almost every team except for the Lakers. So, you know, they there's going to be an element that I think the, the Clippers are going to know where they want to attack and how they want to get at Luka. All right, let's move on to – oh, boy, the, let's not spend too much time on this next one. Um, very quick. All right, Mo, you're the Orlando Magic. Uh, Steve, you get to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Mo, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything, Mo, you can do to, to expose any vulnerability uh, with the roster that you have with Milwaukee? Try to see if I could use one of my golf carts and take down their bus, or uh, <laughs> no. I don't think I, that's I, even going to work. Like, where's their bus going? They're on camping. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, you know, I listen, Orlando's in just an extremely tough spot. It's You know, defensively, you want to try to show a wall and transition and, and, and be able to – uh, try to slow Giannis down. I, I just don't know if they really have anybody. It seems like Aaron Gordon isn't 100%, and there's still questions there. It, 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 they're just in a tough spot, man. This is one of those series where it's just like, man, if if, if they lose a game, they should have to start the next series down 0-1. The Bucks hot take, hot yeah. take alert. Hot take alert. Ooh. Orlando's winning one of the first two games. And why do you think that is Milwaukee, or because as a normal person? As a that's normal. what Orlando does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is there no anything? One, no is one anything about Lord, uh, Is there anything about Orlando that the Bucks that uh, that is something they can actually exploit in you, Milwaukee? Uh, <laughs> it can make it difficult. They have size. They have length. They have Vucevic. So they can make things tough. You know, they're going to execute offensively. They're going to grind it out. They can guard defensively with their size. You know, James Ennis, Aaron Gordon, uh, Windu, they have length. So they could make it difficult. And then if we fall asleep on the other end, if I'm Milwaukee, then all of a sudden things open up. And I just always feel like Orlando's going to find a way to win a game early. Does that mean they win the series? Absolutely not. But – I think they find a way to win a game early. If I'm Milwaukee, I'm just getting reps, you know, trying to get better, <laughs> do what we do. <laughs> I mean, because that's what Milwaukee does anyways. You know, yeah. we're going to do what we do. You're going to deal with it. And if you can't guard it, we're going to win. And that's Milwaukee. <laughs> the only thing, the only way I could see what you're saying, Steve, happening is, like, if if Steve Clifford went to Nick Vucevic and was like, okay, I want you to shoot 16 threes. <laughs> right. First chance you get, like, shoot. No, it's because, you know, Milwaukee will be slow to adjust to you shooting. They'll let you shoot. And you, I just want you to fire with incredible confidence. And if he has a game where he just makes a lot of threes, yeah, I could see Orlando winning one because Milwaukee is going to be a little stubborn. They're going to kind of – they're not going to change their coverage too much right off the bat. So that, there is a chance that happens. I think outside of that, this is going to be a quick series. And that's all we need to say about this one because we've got three really good ones coming up. You are disrespecting DJ Augustine. 
He had he had a good playoff game last year, Steve. Like, come on, man. <laughs> they won that game, though. All right, all right let's, move, let's move on. Toronto have to buy the CBA. <laughs> all right, our, uh, our, audience needs, our audience is not here for this series. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Miami, Indiana. Uh, Mo, you are Miami. Uh, Steve, you are Indiana. I think a lot of people think this is – a wider series than the seeding would indicate. In fact, I think Indiana is actually the higher seed uh, for some reason. Um, as Indiana, Steve, is there any what, – what can you exploit in Miami with the mix that you currently have, which is no Sabonis, TJ Warren's playing – or no, uh, yeah, TJ Warren's got the plantar fascia that he's playing through. Uh, you're a little shorthanded. What's something in Miami that you can exploit? It's all going to come up with my starting lineup. Uh, I have playmaking. I have Malcolm Brogdon. I have Victor Oladipo. I have TJ Warren playing at a high level. Um, and I have Aaron Holiday, who slept on. So I have the ability to attack some mismatches. I just got to find them. So I'm taking Duncan Robinson. I'm putting him in every pick and roll to start. I'm hoping for a switch. And if they don't want the switch, I'm hoping they put two on the ball and they open things up. I can drive and kick and get things going. So I'm attacking that. And I'm taking away Miami's ability to shoot threes. If I can test every three, if I can keep the ball in front, I can make them stagnate, things are going to be tough. So I'm hoping that I can do those things. TJ gets hot, broadening attacks, Oladipo is able to continue to play at a higher level, and we end up making this a tough six, seven-game series, get to game seven, see what happens. Mo, is Miami, what is it about Indiana that you can really exploit? You know, I think we just have the ability with – Bam Adebayo to do a lot of different things offensively to attack him. I don't think, you know, as, as much as they want to kind of tighten it up, like the DHO game with Bam has been phenomenal. Him and Duncan Robinson. I know they're going to attack Robinson on one end of the court, but we can make up for it with him going off the DHO. They got a good chemistry. He finds Bam a lot on the, those rolls after he comes off of it. You know, we have so many different ways we can play. You know, with, you know, Kendrick Nunn and coming in, and then you have Goran Dragic coming in off the bench to kind of add another fire element of firepower. Like, we're just – we have a lot of talent in that sense, and I think we're just going to be able to push that over the top. Defensively, you know, the thing about Indiana that worries me – or if I was in Indiana, it would worry me is just they don't have really the ability to get to a second option, right? It's 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 – Really, the first option. If they don't score off of that, oh, you take my take. <laughs> well, so what do you, my... wait, wait, what do you mean by that exactly? Are you saying like within their their sets mode, like if they can't get the first play, it just breaks down? Are you saying that they don't have a lot of options? Like, what do you mean by like? I think you... it. I think it just sort of breaks down altogether. It just kind of disintegrates, you know. It, and I don't know how much of it is that whether there's something designed in the playbook or if it's just the guys on the floor can't really handle it. But if we're able to blow up the first option, you know, it's, I'm not too concerned after that. You have Oladipo still working his way back from a pretty big injury. You know, it, I know Brogdon can get going, but it's not like these dudes don't scare me enough to the point that I'm so panicked. And it's not like we're a bad defensive team. You know, worst comes to worst, we'll just throw out a zone, which was something we've pulled out all year and have had great success with. I think, you know, we, we can do several things defensively anywhere from we could switch to we can fight through screens. You know, Bam's been phenomenal on the defensive end, I thought, this year all around. So I just think 
we're kind of covered. It's it's the offensively for us is just making sure we're in our flow and getting the drive and kick game going and things like that. I think we're going to be able to attack them and, and exploit them. Uh, them not having DeMontis Sabonis kind of makes it easier for us, obviously, right? Like that was, that could have been a more obvious statement I could have made. But, you know, it, it, it's one less bigger guy. It opens up the rotations and it, it, it highlights that there's not any much coming back after that. Well, yeah. See, you're going to say something. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I was going to add the most point. He's completely correct. Indiana's biggest problem with that first unit, as good of his playmaking as they can be, uh, they drive and kick, drive and kick, and it ends up with a Miles Turner three. So at the end of the day, defenses are going to probably live with that. Um, but to most point, the first option or bust, it's right there. I mean, if they, they execute a set and nothing's there, they pause. It's stagnant. They can't get to the next option. Miles Turner hasn't developed to the point where he can know where to DHO properly to continue to put pressure on uh, those defenses. So if Miami can stay solid and guard those sets, now Indiana is in a position where they're up against the clock. They're going one-on-one. It's tough. They have a talent ceiling. You know, As much as I like their starting lineup, their bench is pretty bare. I like the way their bench plays. Don't get me wrong. They play hard. They execute they move the ball but they have to do that because of what they have so it's going to be tough for Indiana to generate enough points um, to get that done now, but it's interesting because these are two teams where their offenses can absolutely take a break for four to five yeah. minutes and all of a sudden you think you have a handle on the game and you look up and oh Indiana came back because Miami couldn't score and then oh Indiana couldn't score so it'll be interesting to see whose offense shows up and what Indiana does counter. I, I think Miami should take it. And ultimately, I'm just excited for more T.J. Warren, Jimmy Butler battling. <laughs> <laughs> Although it, it, it is interesting that I, I you almost like if you're Indiana would rather Jimmy Butler get into a mano-a-mano duel instead of doing all the other things he does. Um, yes. Maybe. But, yeah, no, that, that should be fun. I mean, Indiana's bench has been very good this season, but it's like Steve said, it's kind of very good in like that they out-execute uh, tired teams way that I feel like is not going to carry over as much as the playoffs. Yeah, I worry about, yeah, Indiana's three-point shooting. They don't take a lot of threes, and Miami gives up a lot of threes. Um, but I also do think, I mean, and, Mo, maybe you, you disagree as Miami, but I do think that Indiana has personnel to take away all the Miami stuff that gets them threes. Like, it is funny how Miami kind of has one great three-point shooter and, like, a few – okay three-point shooters, and they use that one great shooter to get everybody else open. But there aren't – I mean, if you look up and down that roster, there aren't a ton of three-point shooters that scare you outside of Duncan Robinson. Yeah, who, right. Like, really scares you. So <laughs> it, it, it seems like in a playoff series you could scheme your way around that problem. Do you agree with that as Miami, that that's something to worry about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you – Look, Jimmy Butler's had a really bad year shooting the ball. You you, you got to be concerned across the board because it's like everybody they can just sell out and and, and really try to just say we're gonna. Well, it, it was Steve's first thing. He's like, we're gonna go after Duncan Robinson, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and they're gonna hound him defensively and things like that. I think this is something they got to be worried about. I thought Jay Crowder has done a pretty good job though shooting from from three. He gets hot and cold. Like there are times where you feel comfortable, and there are times you're just like, ah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and and I think just they just need those guys just need to hit enough 
to keep the defense honest. And that's kind of what they do. You know, it's not like they hit a great amount. They hit, they just barely hit the, uh, the mark to be able to say like, leave them open at your own peril because they'll knock down just enough. And I think, you know, things open up. They got to, I'm a fan of Goran Dragic. I think he does a great job getting into the paint. And I think it opens up other opportunities too. Cause while you're trying to keep an eye on Duncan Robinson and he's spaced to the corner, you know, that's going to open up lob opportunities for Derek Jones Jr. And, and Bam and all of those guys. So I just think it's an interesting scenario. And ultimately at the end of the day, even though he's shooting poorly, I trust Jimmy at clutch time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was under the impression that this would be a quick series at first. I'm sort of talking my way into this being a longer series, but I agree Miami would have the edge. Uh, okay, Oklahoma City-Houston, the series that I think everyone's looking forward to. Uh, Steve, you're Houston. Uh, you're going – let's start with that side of the ball. Does Oklahoma City's defensive style worry you, uh, or do you think that you have the personnel to go at them and – break down what really is a very tough sort of physical defense? Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm Houston. We're going small. We're, we can score. That's not the issue. So you're going to have to guard us. You're going to have to deal with us. You're going to have to put Steven Adams on someone he doesn't want to guard. Gallinari's got to guard somebody he doesn't want to play against. So I feel like we can score enough points to get this done. Um, the, the big issue on the other end is we're going to switch everything. So we're going to take away your roles. We're going to take away your rotations. We're going to take away a lot of the things you get because you guys execute pretty well. So we're going to make Chris Ball score one-on-one. We're going to make Gallinari score one-on-one. We're going to make Shea score one-on-one. And we're not going to let you get into a rhythm um, offensively that you normally would. So for me, we're going to score. You got to deal with James. Get, get on the program. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mo. Well, I mean, the, the, it does seem like the Houston defense, like, is, even though they are switching and they can bait you into these mismatches, they obviously are bad on the defensive glass. And Steven Adams, though he hasn't shown it, is a historically very good offensive rebounder. How do you deal with the Houston switching? I mean, ultimately, I think it just comes down to the point guy, right? I think this is where Chris Paul is going to make his his work. They're going to find the guys they want to attack defensively. James Harden defending in space, not a good idea, right? So, you know, whoever he's guarding is coming up to set that screen for Chris, you know, and then that's who I want going at him. I think that's an area where we can attack. I think there's elements. I mean, the the Russell Westbrook injury hurts them in terms of what they can do offensively. It allows us to be more aggressive on the defensive side. You know, we can trap we, we can work on the, the early traps on James to, you know, and let's let those other guys beat us in terms of who Steven Adams is going to guard. Like, you know, screw it. Just put him on PJ Tucker. Let's see, you know, PJ Tucker shooting below 30% right now in the bubble, Robert Covington shooting below 30% in the bubble. Like those are guys I'm willing to leave and go like, let me see if they can make enough threes there to hurt us. I can't let guys like Daniel house. Who's having a great bubble run right now hit, uh, beat us. I mean, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure James doesn't beat us. You know, the the ultimate thing for us is we can't turn the ball over and we just got to pound the glass, plain and simple. I'm sending three of the offensive glass and just let's go, you know, and and, and make sure we get more shot attempts than them. Because ultimately, I think that's the game plan there. I think that's what you got to do to beat the Rockets right now. It's don't foul. Don't turn the ball over. You should be all right, because just by chance, you're going to have more rebounds than them. But how are you going to score? 
That's a good question, Steve. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how, how are you going to score? I think – I actually think – I think this is where we kind of – for everything we talk about with Oklahoma City, we tend to forget about how good Danilo Gallinari is. You know, and he gets to kind of come in off the, the attack, you know, that Chris Paul is going to create. You, they're going to switch every screen. Chris Paul is going to attack, and that's going to pull and help, and he's going to find – Gallinari, who then can either hit the shots or attack from there. Let's also not forget the fact that Shea's actually really improved this year and is another guy that's just silky smooth in the pick and roll. I just think there's a lot of different weapons we can go to that I'm not too concerned about it. And ultimately, you know, we're we're just going to keep pounding you up. Worst case scenario, Steve, we'll just throw it near the rim, get the offensive rebound. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tough because I like OKC, but I don't like this matchup for them. I probably would have taken them against Utah, against Denver. Against Houston, it's just such a different animal in the sense that, yeah, you can beat them. If you beat them off the dribble, it's going to open everything up. But if you can't, you're stuck. You're up against the clock. You don't have anything going. you got to create something. And But that's where I, Chris Paul comes in. No, I like your point. I think attacking hard and pick and roll is probably the best way to do it. You don't want to post yeah. them up. You don't want them in space, but – if you attack him in pick and roll, that's going to open things up, put him in a mismatch, let Chris get those elbow jumpers. But as far as doing that over the course of 48 minutes, it's going to take a toll on OKC because this isn't what they do. This isn't how they play. You know what I mean? This isn't what they're designed for, whereas they can execute and ex- scheme you out the building this isn't that series. So I'm interested to see how they adjust to it. And if they can attack the Rockets consistently, it's going to be a really, really, really fun series to watch. If they bog down and get stagnant, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I'd be I'd be more worried for OKC if Westbrook was healthy. You know, but Westbrook's going to probably miss the first two games at minimum. I think, you know, Eric Gordon's coming back from an injury, and he hasn't played that well. Like, I, I – I think, you know, if if they had Russ, I'd be like, okay, this could be a problem for for Oklahoma City. I just think that that second valve is is the issue. I mean, small ball works for Houston only because of Russell Westbrook, to be honest. Because on offense or on defense? You're talking on offense. On offense. Okay. Yeah. You know, because he's just able to put so much pressure on you defensively. You know, like when he gets the ball off those James Harden attacks you know you're going four on three now and russ is going downhill which is well i mean it's it's pretty scary in that scenario on top of it i think their transition game will slow down a bit because he was their transition game you know so there's easy baskets that aren't going to be made anymore or those opportunities aren't going to be as available to them you know and they also lose another rebounder you know russ is a very good rebounder as a guard as we all know so i think all of those things play into it where i think for OKC, knowing that they're not going to have Westbrook for the first couple of games, I feel pretty good about our chances. Steve, you kind of hit on something interesting where you, you were saying that this is not an execution series, uh, or I don't want to like ruin your point, but it, it sounds like what you were saying is that Oklahoma City is going to have to play so out of character because of how unique Houston is. You know, that's an interesting question, I think, for any Houston matchup, is that they just make you play a different game. In Oklahoma City's case, it kind of seems like the – the way to put a finer point on that is that Oklahoma City is a very ball screen heavy team uh, and Houston will just switch all that stuff. And there is that risk of stagnation. Um, 
And it just sort and Chris Paul, as great as he is, is not the same player he was in his prime going against sort of switches, taking someone off the dribble. It seems like Gallinari you've identified as a really key player attacking the switches, but also Shea Gilgis Alexander. So what is that kind of what you mean by when you say this isn't this is gonna force Oklahoma City to play a different style of game than they ever had? And is that something that you think if Houston wins this series is gonna be an issue no matter who they play? Where the fact that you have to play such a different style of play against them ends up being a huge mark in their favor when we get to the playoffs? Yeah, I think it's the big question. How do you handle how they're switching? How do you handle the fact that they're gonna just go up go up and down? and score and play in space and attack and drive. They play a unique style of basketball, and you can argue the small ball lineup up and down, left and right, but at the end of the day, you have to deal with it. And that was my biggest thing in the bubble is how are these teams going to adjust, readjust to how Houston plays. And it obviously is a mixed bag in the bubble, so there's no doubt about that. But in a series, you have to put that pressure on them consistently now, if Houston isn't rotating, isn't keeping the ball in front penetration, it's going to be tough for them to get it done. But with what they do at the highest level, you know, in theory, that's going to make it really tough because, you know, most stated, you know, Westbrook being out is tough. They were used to just playing with James Harden in ISO with space. So that's going to be something that, OKC's okay, so gonna have to handle, and that's something that Houston can throw at you. We got pick and roll, we got space, we got Harden, we got Westbrook, we can post them up. We can do some different things. So it'll be fun to watch and see how teams handle uh, what Houston brings to the table. And don't you think? But like that's the other thing too is now Harden's got to take on a a larger role, you know. And that's you got to worry if he's gonna get fatigued quicker because of that as well. Uh, yeah, it's a concern. But my counter would be it's something he already did. Right before they had Westbrook, it's something he already did. So um, it's something they can lean on as far as let's give James a ball, let's space the floor. But, but they did the that. But they did that with Capella. Like he had a vertical spacer, right? No, like no, no. It's, outside of pick and roll, they had a lot of times where James was at the top. We're gonna let him iso. If you're gonna double, we're gonna move the ball. So they're missing that aspect. But at the same time, that's a guy that. Most defenses don't want to let score pretty easily, right? Yeah. I and mean, he can he can get it done. So you're either going to send a double or you're going to deal with him going to work. It's going to be a fun series. That's <laughs> this one's this one's going to this one's going to be a battle of uh, philosophies a little bit too. But don't forget the fact that there's a little bit of revenge factor for that little man over there in Oklahoma City who's currently in Orlando. Um, Mo has OKC in six. Okay, Steve. All right. Well, if that's the case, <laughs> Wait, last thing I want to I want to ask for, as for OKC because I agree this is going to be such an interesting series. Are you tempted to downsize with Houston and play Gallinari at the five at, at different points, or do you think that your biggest advantage is keeping Stephen Adams in, telling him to attack the offensive glass in a way that he hasn't in, in a couple of years? Uh, what, what do you think you're, you're going to do lineup wise against Houston's Houston there? I'm going to, I'm going to stay with Steven Adams. I think, you know, if it really begins to hurt and this is the beauty of the playoffs, right? This is one we have to figure out and adjust. Like if it really does hurt us and fine, we will go with Gallinari at the four, at the five, you know, and, and, and downsize. But right now I think your biggest advantage is size, you know, and, and look, the, the Rockets defense in the pick and roll against the roller, according to synergy is 
quite terrible. I had it up a second ago and somehow lost it that quickly. Was that uh, bad? Where's was, the stack? Come on, Mo. Relax, easy, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Coming at me. It's you know they rank twenty second in points per possessions. It's one point one seven. So I think you know those are going to be the opportunities there. And in terms of you know, we're going to mess with the switches. We're going to set ghost screens where, you know, it looks like Steven Adams is going to come set a screen and he's just going to roll right away without ever setting one. We're going to do all sorts of slips and things like that. I think there's just going to be a lot of ways to mess with them. And I think right now I'm just going to stay with our size and and live with the fact that, you know, it's going to be a mismatch on the other end, but there are places you can hide Adams, you know, and you could put him in on PJ Tucker and he's going to rotate over on these drives and, you know what? I'm just going to live with it. You know, we get, Tucker's been great as a three-point shooter, but in general, there are a lot of times where he stinks and just can't hit shots, and that's been the case in the bubble, and that's something I'll just hope continues. And that's even if he's in the corner wide open, like in that Milwaukee game where Milwaukee very stubbornly did not take Brooke Lopez out. You're fine with that repeating itself. Yeah. I'm okay with that because in that game for Milwaukee, they averaged 22 turnovers. I just, or they had 22 turnovers in that game. I don't think that's something that OKC is going to have. I think, you know, when you have a guy like Chris Paul who does manipulate the game, does manage it very well, and he's going to make sure that the turnovers are down. Now, if we're turning the ball over a ton and we're fouling, it's going to be a short series. Yeah, I do have, I do have an addition. I think that Dennis Schroeder and Shea are the keys to the series. Um, mm. If they're able to play at a high level, penetrate and attack because they have that ability, that opens things up from OKC. The flip side is how does OKC handle Houston's small lineup? Because, I mean, um, Houston's small ball against their best lineup where you have Shea, you have Schroeder, you have CP3, you have Gallinari, you have Adams. That's a really good lineup for OKC. Is it as good against that small lineup? I think those two things will be important as the series plays out. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned Shea and Schroeder. I would expect to see a lot of sort of those ghost slips with the with point guards. Like if I'm if I'm OKC, like I'm going to put Shea and Chris Paul on a, a lot of different actions and see how Houston reacts to it. I'm going to put Schroeder and Chris Paul on a lot of different actions together and see how they react to it. You know, and just I think it's going to be interesting. Um, but that's a lot of time on that series. I think it's merited. <laughs> it's the best series I think of them all. That's um, your number one. Well, I don't know. Is, is, I guess the next question is: Is this last one our number one? Portland. L.A. Lakers. Uh, for obvious reasons, Steve, I think it's best if you represent Portland in this scenario. <laughs> That's fine. I, I was gonna, I was gonna take that either way. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think? Do you really think that you have, uh, like, you're the sleeping giant that can, and this is a great matchup for you? I mean, what are you doing to attack the Lakers? Sleeping giant, probably not. But if you're Portland, you're a team that scratched and clawed your way into the playoffs. You played nine games of really, really competitive basketball just to get there. This is kind of freedom. You know, as hard as you have to work to compete in this series, you also have nothing to lose because you weren't supposed to get here. So I think when you have Damian Lillard, you have C.J. McCollum, those are not two guys that teams want to see, especially in the first round. Um so you have the ability to force the Lakers to do something different. You know, they like to play big. Okay, you're going to play JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. They're going to be in drops. You're in trouble. So I think you have that confidence of what you've accomplished. 
you have those two players, you have a team mindset, you've been playing hard and playing competitive ball. Now you just go out and play. You know, you made the playoffs, which you weren't in when you came into the bubble. Now we're just going to go out there and hoop. And I think they can cause a problem in that sense because of those two guys. That's not an easy out, in my opinion. Mo, what do you? What's your plan against Damian Lillard as the Lakers? Yeah, this is—he's a beast, and he causes trouble for the Lakers every game. I mean, let's just look at the the first game back after the Kobe tragedy. You know, he dropped sixty-four at Staples Center. I got a front row seat to that. Oh yeah, you, you know, and he was—it was phenomenal, and the Lakers. Couldn't stop him. And that was when they had Avery Bradley and Rondo. Uh, you, you know, so it's, that's going to be a, a big issue for them. The In the pick and roll, I think you just got to trap, trap him. And I think even in the double pick and roll, you got to trap the first one. You know, because a lot of times the thing I love about Dame, too, it, you know, he, he'll, he'll set up a double pick and roll, and he'll just attack right off the first one or pull up for three right off the first screen without getting to the second one if the defense gets lazy. So I think, you know, you got to be aggressive with him in the pick and roll. Um, I, I, it shocks me when any team plays Dame in drop pick and roll coverage. It actually pisses me off. So I would be <laughs> it's just stupid. Um, <laughs> like, so it's so funny you say that because one thing I wanted to do on the blog on the newsletter last week and didn't get a chance to I, I, I tried like talking over some film with this and just trying to post a video and I didn't do it right. So that's why I didn't post it. Is that this idea of you don't play drop coverage against Damian Lillard I think is complicated because he and I tweeted this to some effect he makes what is not drop coverage, which is like, yeah, we're bringing the big to the level of the screen because of how quickly he pulls up, because of how smart he is. He makes it look like it's like a deep drop when actually he's just kind of got that big off balance or he's sort of set up the guard really well. Um, and then we've talked to also about, you know, if you trap him, obviously that sets up the four on three. So I almost wonder if, like, this, like, don't play drop against Damian Lillard is sort of like us ask, making too general a statement about too good a player and that it's actually a little more complicated in that you can play what looks like drop coverage but just do it better. Well, I think what you're describing is, is actually center field, which is uh, a coverage that we, we had in San Antonio that has evolved into drop. Okay. But the goal with center with with the center field defense, and this is something they kind of really put together to combat uh, Steve Nash and uh, Damian Stoudemire, not Damian Stoudemire, Amari, Amari Stoudemire. Uh, man, it's probably would have worked against Stoudemire. Probably would have worked against Damian Stoudemire too. <laughs> Damian, Damian, I'm struggling. Was today. that Damian Stoudemire or Damian? I'm, I'm, <laughs> it was. It was. It's Damian's cousin. <laughs> okay. All right. I won't <laughs> it's been one of them days. Uh, <laughs> but you know the the, the concept is the big man really just keeps it in front of them, but he's up and he's backpedaling. It's almost like he's trying to stay engaged with the guard and the roller at the same time. You know, I think you, you, you don't see a lot of pop out of those guys in terms of uh, Nurkic doesn't pop a lot. He rolls, he can pop. He's got, he, he can hit some shots. You don't see it too much out of uh, Zach Collins. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. Um, but I think you just kind of got to try to handle it that way. And I think it's something that maybe Draymond Green's really good at in sort of playing that cat and mouse of I'm coming, I'm not coming. And 
you know, until your guard can recover. And I think that's something I would do. But overall, with just Dame, the other thing, too, and I think this is for the whole Portland team, they're exhausted. You know, like, it's you can just – every game has been yeah. life and death and a game seven intensity for them. It's been phenomenal to watch. I've enjoyed every second of it. It's also made it a little bit stressful for me. Like, I'm not a smoker, but I felt like I've had to go have a cigarette after each one of these games. <laughs> uh, you know, and – I, I, yeah, I do want to go back to that center field point, though. Sorry to okay, tie you up, just because I think this is interesting, right? Can the Lakers play that style of defense with Anthony Davis? Like, yeah. Because I, it does seem to me like if you trap Lillard, and I, I mean, as Portland, you're almost – not that you're, like, kind of want that, but, I mean, you'll take the four on threes. The real challenge will be if you can find a guy that and, – and this is what Davis did to Lillard, I think, in the Pelican series that did play that cat-and-mouse game with him to play more of a center field type coverage. And then you also have a great guard like Drew Holiday coming behind. I feel like the Lakers could replicate that. Or am I, am I giving them too much credit? No, I think it's a mix. I think you got to have a mix. I think what, what the coverage that Mo describes is probably the one other one you have to have. Your big has to be above that three point line, or at least at the level of the screen to discourage that pull up. Now, Dame has added that drive. So it's made it different. Uh, where he's turning the corner and getting the layup or opening things up. So you have to guard against that. But there's no circumstance where you can't be at the level against Dame or CJ. you got to be up there. Um, if you trap, that's one thing. If you're up and then dropping back, that's another. But you have to be at the level. Um, you cannot give them that space. You cannot let them open things up like that because you're just going to be at the mercy. But I think if you can mix those looks, as we kind of talked about, uh, throughout the game and not let Portland get a steady dose of one thing. Because if you go, yeah. go back to the Denver series last year, Jokic was at the level almost every time, which was fine until Dame got going, until he was driving, until they hit the roller, and now you have to think about other things. So I think being able to mix those two things is going to be important, especially for the Lakers who like to play big. You know, Anthony Davis at the five is kind of in the back pocket, you have to find a coverage where JaVale and Dwight can play and be effective and take things away. Yeah, Mo, I, I got that this question on Twitter, you know, that you referenced. How long – I think this is from Jur with a bunch of numbers that I don't feel like reading. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, disrespect you... on that man's Twitter name. <laughs> right, I fine. hope he adds you as soon as this is over. <laughs> I, you know what? I hope so too. And I'd say, you know, I, I think if you were – Jer eight two three eight the one seven three you probably are good. <laughs> um, oh, but he he asked like at this point if you're the Lakers do you start AD at the five from the jump if you're Mo what do you think? No, I don't. You know, first off, you're the one seed. You're not the one that has to really uh, be worried coming out of the gate. You know, you're you, they've been the best team. They've struggled offensively in the in the bubble and it's not looked great but you're the one seed i think the the idea of it is when you do that you can't go back right Mm -hmm. when you go to your adjustment first before actually running your normal stuff you can't just go okay that didn't work let's go back to our normal stuff because that sort of hurts the the team mentality and things like that so i think it's it's something you want in your back pocket it's also i don't want him banging with yusuf nurkic the entire series you know, Nurkic is, is, is a beast down there, as a Bosnian beast. That's what he is, uh, you know, and, and, and he's, he's challenging in that regard. So I wouldn't go straight to that. You know, I, I think you got to find the coverages. How are you going to handle it? You know, when you are playing big, how are you going to handle the pick and rolls with 
McGee with Howard when he's in and things like that. And I think end of games, then you go to putting AD at the five, LeBron at the four, and, and wreak havoc. But one other thing I would do, you know, if I'm the Lakers, is I'm picking up Dame full court. His legs are tired. Like, these guys yeah. are tired. You know, this is this is the thing. Like, I'm going to get him to expend energy. And that's early. And, and you know, they're going to set the screens. That's going to open up some stuff, you know, in the backcourt and things like that. But I need to get to his legs early and often. I need to try to wear him out a bit so that when it comes into fourth quarter and game time, those shots are falling short. And I think that's got to be something that the Lakers look at. Maybe you do it selectively. You don't do it the whole game. But – there's got to be times where you got to take advantage of just trying to wear Dame out. And that's also on the offensive end, you know, try to run him off screens, make him chase, make him things like that. Cause the one thing I haven't heard anybody talk about yet is how the hell are they going to guard LeBron? Yeah, well, I, that's, don't worry. That's, I was, what I was, that's what I was sitting on. Don't worry, we're getting to that. I feel like I'm getting grilled. I'm the one seed. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that, but you know what? That's a really good idea, I think. And also because the Lakers have great personnel for that with Caruso, with KCP, they've got they got chasers. Uh, uh, that idea. Also, it, it would we're on transition, um, which I think they have not been out in enough. But okay. Portland, how the hell are you guarding these guys? Yeah, Steve, get him. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the flip side to this series. This isn't a great look in that sense. They don't necessarily have to guard LeBron. They don't necessarily have the size to guard those pick and rolls if a guard guards it. I mean, a guard sets it, and then they don't have someone to really handle Anthony Davis. So you're kind of caught in between, hey, do we go small? Hey, do we play Nurkic and Whiteside together? What do we do on that end? Um, and you saw what, you know, Karis LeVert did in pick and roll against the drop that now you're dealing with LeBron. So it's not the most ideal situation. Uh, as far as what I would do, you probably have to leave LeBron on an island, which sounds like a terrible idea. And don't get me <laughs> wrong. I've been in coaches' meetings where you watch film and then you sit for 35 minutes and you argue, do we leave LeBron alone or do we double? And nothing sounds good. So I'm going to try my best. You got to try and hope he's a scorer, leave everyone else alone, and hope for the best. Because if you double, he's going to find the opening and swing the ball and you're going to be in trouble. So it's a, it's a, it's a not, it's not, there's a no win scenario in that part. As far as Anthony Davis goes, you got to hope that your size and height, Nurkic and Whiteside can bang with him, take away maybe the post-ups. You're going to have struggles with the pops. But, okay, let's make Anthony Davis a shooter. You know, let's let him shoot those threes. Let's let him shoot those pull-ups. Let's avoid him isolating one-on-one. And let's hope that we can make him inefficient. And so if we can make LeBron score, take away the kicks to the threes, take away Anthony Davis, make it tough on him, we got a shot on that end, but that all depends on how we can play. And if we're playing small, we're not as good defensively. The the one thought I have, Steve, as I switch to my Portland hat real quickly, um, and Mike groans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to turn the Lakers into a three point shooting team. Interesting. I'm listening. Wow. I'm gonna. I'm so gonna. How pack, do you do that though? Exactly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start packing the paint. I'm gonna have okay. guys like Danny Green have to shoot. And and you know what? He might get hot and beat us. Wait, time out. You want to make Danny Green shoot? Are you sipping the bubble juice too? 
No, no, I'm just saying, like, okay. who would you rather have? That's the problem. But, like, here's the thing, though. But, like, in that scenario, though, I'd rather get the ball out of LeBron's hands. And tr- I, I, it's in the scenario of, like, I'm not sure if Danny Green can do this for us four out of seven times, right? I'm not sure if everybody else collectively behind. We could even rotate to Danny Green. I'm not, you know, Caruso doesn't always shoot it well. Kuzma, who's been the best shooting, best Laker right now in the bubble, you know, I don't know how consistent it is. I mean, at this point, really, if I'm looking at it going like, if I can find a way to slow down LeBron and AD, you know, I have a chance to win this game. It doesn't matter what the role players do. It's those two guys, you know, and, and we they haven't had a good game together in the bubble, you know, and, and really if I can just find a way to slow those two guys down, I'm fine with it, you know, and I, I, I think that's kind of the, the gamble I would take. You got to – it ain't great. This ain't the scenario. It, this isn't the, what you want necessarily, but you right. just got to try to take something away. It, and at some point you're giving up something when you do that. And it so sounds, it's like, it, what do you say? Yeah. It's interesting. It sounds like you're basically suggesting to do completely opposite things, the two of you. <laughs> you know, Steve's over here saying, yeah, let, let's make LeBron a scorer and let's just not let him pass. And, Mo, you're saying – Wait, hold on. I said that was hesitancy. Oh, I, I <laughs> we're, both, we're, we're all talking like – before like someone the best of a cuts that up. Bad, best of a <laughs> I've already cut it up, so Steve, it's Steve. ready to run. Right, the best of a bunch of bad options. Yeah. And, but, Mo, you're saying, no, let's let's just make anyone other than LeBron and Anthony Davis beat you. That, that's uh, – I mean, there's a, is there a way to do both? I mean, why not – I guess you can't really do much of anything if LeBron just decides to post up and bully ball. But if he's running pick and roll, why not do what the Spurs did in the 2013 finals and just go seven feet under him, make him shoot? I mean, you, you can, but I just think LeBron's still going to find ways to attack. You know, I don't think – listen, they don't have the defensive personnel that the Spurs did, you know, in those finals, you know, and that's kind of the the challenge. I mean, they're just – unfortunately, they're just a small team. Like, their best perimeter defender is Gary Trent Jr., and he's 6'4", maybe. You know, I I don't know. you got to put some respect on CJ's name. Okay, but he's 6'3"? I'm just saying. Not against LeBron, but I'm just saying. He's a good perimeter defender. Okay, okay, I mean – it's, I'm 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 fine with that, you know. But it's what I'm saying is like they just don't have the size that you need to have, you know. That that team you referenced, Mike, had Kawhi Leonard, you know, of and, and Dio as well. You know, it, they just had length and everything like that that they the Blazers just don't have. So I don't know if yeah. you can just say, hey, you can do that right now if you're the Blazers. But I still think LeBron's going to find his way to the rim that way, and I I just don't know if uh, that's a viable thing. So. You know, it, it's it's risky in that sense, but you can, I don't think you can take away both, as as you were saying. I think it's it's one or the other. All right, uh, Steve. Is there anything more you think as that Portland can do defensively, or are they other than just throw their hands up in the air and hope that Lillard scores sixty five and they win by two points like they have no, the last I mean, two games? They could just they could mix it up, throw some doubles at LeBron, let him score, try and hope that Anthony Davis doesn't go off. The idea is you just got to contest everything they do and hope that no one else gets going, you know, because if those guys are taking the bulk of the shots and they're not making a lot of them, you got a chance. But if those guys are scoring and those guys, other guys are hitting shots, what are you taking away? You're not taking much away. So it's going to be a tough series for Portland on that end. If they can't guard the Lakers, it's, it's not going to be a long one. 
But if they can scrap and find a way to claw their way into it, fourth quarter comes, you got to deal with Damon CJ, it could be interesting. I'm proud of all of us because we did an entire series preview and didn't mention Carmelo Anthony's name once. No, we're doing two hours on Melo right now. <laughs> That's a, I thought that was the next part. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, um, I'm of the. Are you of you of the opinion that this is actually like a really tough matchup for the Lakers, or do you both think that this should be relatively straightforward for them because of the defensive issues? I think it's the of the teams that could have been in the play-in game. It's the one team they didn't want, right? Like I felt like they would have been able to walk all over Memphis. I felt like they, they'd be able to New Orleans, all of these teams, Phoenix. I don't think they ever really would have threatened them. This is the team they probably didn't want to play the most. And, you know, I don't think it's um, terrifying in that sense, but it's just like, okay, we're going to have to expend more energy. Like I, I think Portland can take two games. You know, I think it might be a scenario where it can go, you know, three, one and they get games, you know, five and then the Lakers take game six you know it's it's that kind of scenario it's you know because Dame can go off at any point and that can be a problem and the Lakers have seen it and you know we've watched him do it for eight games and you know can he do it for a few more and kind of keep the dream alive so I just but I'm not too concerned about it but the other side too is like I kind of think the Lakers need a tough first round they need that slap in the face. I agree with you actually because they've been kind of Meandering around, I think this will wake him up a little bit. No, uh, Steve, do you agree? Do you think this is? Do you think this is a tough series? As tough a series as people are suggesting? Well, no, I agree with Mo. Of, of the people that they wanted to face, this wasn't the one. You don't want to see Damon CJ in the first round. How they handle that is what's going to be interesting because Portland's going to land a punch at some point, and it's going to be you know, do the Lakers fall to the ground or do they take it and move on? So, what I think is. You've got two really good players. You've got a team fighting and confident. How do the Lakers handle that? And that makes it fun for a first-round series. I don't think we have to, like, gas a 1-8 out of the arena. It's going to be a fun series. Um, but I think it gets lost right now because there's so many people who are like, oh, watch the Blazers, pick the Blazers. They're good. And the Lakers are good. You know, they're the one seat. So let's have fun watching and see how it develops instead of, you know, pick a side type thing. But that's what we live in. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to enjoy it. I do think uh, Phoenix would have been a bigger challenge, actually. Just What? That's a spicy take. I, need I know it. it's a spicy take, but I mean, Phoenix <laughs> has got some defensive things they can do to annoy LeBron. Like, I don't think LeBron would have enjoyed going against Mikael Bridges for seven games. Like, I think that would have been really annoying for him. And th- now he can go against whoever uh, and have his way. I think Devin Booker would have been a really tough matchup for them because he's bigger than all their twos and – you know, but he, he's too slippery for LeBron to guard. You know, I think that would have been a really challenging matchup. And yeah, you know. hold on, wasn't there a point in time where someone says LeBron didn't want to see Stanley Johnson on this podcast a, today? No, wasn't that a thing like in life? I think that Stanley yeah. Johnson said that. Okay, okay. yeah, that, it doesn't I, count if the guy says it. Right, <laughs> I was just thinking. I was like. Uh, Come on, Mikel Bridges is no Stanley Johnson. Mikel Bridges is really good defensively. Really I shouldn't good. make jokes. But I don't think Phoenix has enough offensively. They just would have trapped Devin Booker, and then that would have been that. You yeah. know, the, the, the other thing, too, is 
this is a playoff tested team in Portland that they won't get phased by this stuff, you know, the, the higher intensity and things like that. And you, you know, Phoenix wouldn't have gotten the calls, you know, the, as much as we talk about it this way, I think the, the, Portland Trailblazers have more respect from the officials and things like that. I think they'll they won't get uh, as screwed by the whistle as as the Suns would, but uh, I think that's something too. Like you know, younger guys, younger teams, they would struggle in that scenario. I mean, this to me, this Portland team's the top four, top five team in the West if they were see, fully healthy. See, I don't think that's true. Like I I disagree. Like I, who is the team that finished in the top seven that a healthy Portland? Remember, a healthy Portland, not with all the guys they lost over the summer, but like a healthy Portland, like this Portland team right now, is finishing ahead of. Like, are they are they better than Dallas? I think they're right. This, I, this version, yes. You think? I think I, so. I, I think so too. I'm not. I I think they're better than Dallas. I think they'd probably give OKC would have given OKC a run. You know, in that standings, like I, I'll be honest with you, I was picking Portland to make the playoffs back in March, so you know I was ready for them to make a run, and that's just kind of the respect I have for for Portland and stuff. Now that they've hired Steve, I feel like I might have lost some, but uh, <laughs> 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 all right, okay, open mic night later this week, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'm just drinking the Phoenix Kool-Aid a little too much. But I, I just think they have a deeper, better two-way team that would have been more annoying. Like Portland, just it's too easy for them to score. But we will see. I certainly would not want – I understand, like, the fear of facing Damian Lillard right now, um, just on a psychological level. So maybe that's what the most important thing that trumps it. Um, well, this was a lot of fun. I hope listeners got a lot out of – Understanding, I think this is sort of what teams would be talking about. I know a lot of people are like, "Hey, where's the basketball talk? Like, do do people that follow the media actually care about basketball?" Well, this was very detailed basketball talk. I hope Draymond Green appreciates it. Oh <laughs> man, shots fired! Oh man. Uh, but no, I mean oh. this was this was great. I mean, it, it's it really is amazing, like the level of granularity. I mean, this is only a taste of what these teams are going through. Uh, the people that still work there. And it's just amazing the level of granularity this game can provide, you know, and the playoffs can provide. You know, there's so much more we could be talking about that we haven't touched on. I mean, you you, you touched on one thing, and and I'm sure Steve can attest to it. Everything's discussed in the playoff prep meetings. And the more time you have to prepare, there are some crazy ideas thrown out there. And there's definitely times where where an assistant coach will get looked at as like, are you, you, you're nuts. Um, You know, there's definitely, but this is the thing you, you throw out every idea you possibly can at this point to start figuring, formulating the game plan. And my favorite part about playoff prep is you do all of this. You finally come to a consensus, you figure it out. Game one happens and all that goes out the window. (laughs) Within the first quarter, you're just like, well, (laughs) that's not going to work. So what are we going to do now? And that's the fun part, man, because, like, it's a journey. Like, you are thinking all these things, how are we going to take this team away, what we're going to do. None of that works. Okay. <laughs> you never think to yourself like, man, why am I doing all this work and we're just going to change the scheme after the first quarter of game one? No, because you're stressed out because you have to get it all done. Yeah, no, you're you're not at all thinking. Yeah, that. and you know why? Because if you do, it really does hurt your heart. 
Honestly, that's what makes it worse. You know all the work you're going to do is probably going to go out the window immediately, and you have to do more work about it. That's what makes it hard. I mean, at this at this point in the playoffs, you know, like Steve knows, you've prepared for four teams. You're only using one of the right. Yeah, I guess that, that's true. Yeah. Um, no, here's the secret. You're 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 rooting for other teams not to do well. Yeah. You can focus on that one team you know the most. Don't tell anyone I said that. I said it on a podcast, but don't worry about it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you guys don't miss this very much. Uh, no. Um, but no, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, like, that's the thing that a series does to you. Like, there is no, like, oh, let's wait for the things to regress to the mean. You, know, you don't have time for that. And so it's just, it's just fascinating. But anyway, this was great. Mo.Kill, Steve Jones, do a central follow on Twitter. And with the work they do elsewhere in the media uh, if you really want to know what's going on in the game, the game that we watch. So, guys, thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve, for putting up with me, too. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me, y'all. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been the Limited Upside Podcast.